0: chapter 13 of the defiant agents by andre norton this librivox recording is in the public domain the defiant agents chapter 13 the rasp of something wet and rough persistent against his cheek travis tried to turn his head to avoid the contact and was answered by a burst of pain which trailed off into a giddiness making him fear another move no matter how minor He opened his eyes and saw the pointed ears, the outline of a coyote head between him and a dull gray sky, was able to recognize Nalik Ideyu. A wetness other than that from the coyote's tongue slid down his forehead now. The dull clouds overhead had released the first heavy rain Travis had experienced since their landing on Topaz. He shivered as the chill damp of his clothes made him aware that he must have been lying out in the full force of the downpour for some time. It was a struggle to get to his knees, but Nalik Ideyu mouthed a hold on his shirt, tugging and pulling so that, somehow, he crept into a hollow beneath the branches of a tree, where the spouting water was lessened to a few pattering drops. There the Apache's strength deserted him again and he could only hunch over. His bent knees against his chest, trying to endure the throbbing misery in his head, the awful floating sensation which followed any movement. Fighting against that, he tried to remember just what had happened the meeting with Declay and at least four or five others, then the Apache accusation of witchcraft, a serious thing in the old days. Old days. To Declay and his followers, these were the old days. And the threat of that Dekle or some other had shouted at him, Doni Ilkata, meant literally, It won't dawn for you, death. Stones, the last thing Travis remembered, were the stones. Slowly his hands went out to explore his body. There was more than one bruised area on his shoulders and ribs, even on his thighs. He must still have been a target after he had fallen under the stone which had knocked him unconscious. Stoned. Outlawed. But why? Surely Declay's hostility could not have swept Buck, Jill Lee, Tsoe, even Nolan, into agreeing to that. Now he could not think straight. Travis became aware of warmth—not only of warmth and the soft touch of a furred body by his side, but a comforting communication of mind, a feeling he had no words to describe adequately. Nalik-Ideu was sitting crowded against him, her nose thrust up to rest on his shoulder. She breathed in soft puffs, which stirred the loose locks of his rain-damp hair. And now he flung one arm about her, a gesture which brought a whisper of answering wine. He was past wondering about the actions of the coyotes, only supremely thankful for Nalik-Ideu's present companionship and a moment later when her mate squeezed under the low loop of a branch and joined them in his natural wickiup. Travis held out his other hand, drew it lovingly across Nagan Ulto's wet hide. Now what? he asked aloud. Declay could only have taken such a drastic action with the majority of the clan solidly behind him. It could well be that this reactionary was the new chief, this act of Travis' expulsion merely adding to Declay's growing prestige. The shivering, which had begun when Travis recovered consciousness, still shook him at intervals. Back on Terra, like all the others in the team, he had had every inoculation known to the space physicians, including several experimental ones. But the cold virus could still practically immobilize a man and this was no time to give body room to chills and fever. Catching his breath as his movements touched to life the pain in one bruise after another, Travis peeled off his soaked clothing, rubbed his body dry with handfuls of last year's leaves culled from the thick carpet under him, knowing there was nothing he could do until the whirling in his head disappeared. So he burrowed into the leaves until only his head was uncovered, and tried to sleep the coyotes curling up one on either side of his nest. He dreamed but later could not remember any incident from those dreams, save a certain frustration and fear. When he awoke, again to the sound of steady rain, it was dark. He reached out, both coyotes were gone. His head was clearer and suddenly he knew what must be done. As soon as his body was strong enough, He, too, would return to instincts and customs of the past. This situation was desperate enough for him to challenge Declay. In the dark Travis frowned. He was slightly taller, and three or four years younger than his enemy. But Declay had the advantage in a stouter build and longer reach. However, Travis was sure that in his present life Declay had never fought a duel, Apache fashion and an Apache duel was not a meeting anyone entered into lightly. Travis had the right to enter the rancheria and deliver such a challenge. Then Declay must meet him, or admit himself in the wrong. That part of it was simple. But in the past such duels had just one end, a fatal one for at least one of the fighters. If Travis took this trail he must be prepared to go the limit and he didn't want to kill Declay. There were too few of them here on Topaz to make any loss less than a real catastrophe. While he had no liking for Declay, neither did he nurse any hatred. However, he must challenge the other, or remain a tribal outcast, and Travis had no right to gamble with time and the future, not after what he had learned in the Tower. It might be his life and skill, or Declay's, against the blotting out of them all, and their homeworld into the bargain. First he must locate the present camp of the clan. If Nolan's arguments had counted, they would be heading south away from the pass. And to follow would draw him farther from the Tower Valley. Travis' battered face ached as he grinned bitterly. This was another time when a man could wish he were two people—a scout on sentry duty at the valley, the fighter heading in the opposite direction to have it out with Declay, But since he was merely one man, he would have to gamble on time—one of the trickiest risks of all. Before dawn, Nalik Ideyu returned, carrying with her a bird—or at least birds must have been somewhere in the creature's ancestry, but the present representative of its kind had only vestigial remnants of wings its trailing feet and legs well developed and far more powerful. Travis skinned the corpse, automatically putting aside some spine-quills to feather future arrows. Then he ate slivers of dusky meat raw, throwing the bones to nalik Ideyu. Though he was still stiff and sore, Travis was determined to be on his way. He tried mind-contact with the coyote, picturing the Apaches, notably Declay as sharply as he could by mental image. And her ascent was clear in return. She and her mate were willing to lead him to the tribe. He gave a light sigh of relief. As he slogged on through the depressing drizzle, the Apache wondered again why the coyotes had left him before and waited in the Tower Valley. What link was there between the animals of Terra and the remains of the long-ago Empire of the Stars? for he was certain it was not by chance that Narak Ideyu and Nagan Ulta had lingered in that misty place. He longed to communicate with them directly, to ask questions, and be answered. Without their aid, Travis would never have been able to track the clan. The drizzle alternated with slashing bursts of rain, torrential enough to drive the trackers to the nearest cover. Overhead, the sky was either dull bronze or night-black. Even the coyotes paced nose to the ground, often making wide casts for the trail while Travis waited. The rain lasted for three days and nights, filling watercourses with rapidly rising streams. Travis could only hope that the others were having the same difficulty traveling that he was, perhaps the more so, since they were burdened with packs. The fact that they kept on meant that they were determined to get as far from the northern mountains as they could. On the fourth morning the bronze of the cloud slowly thinned into the usual gold, and sun struck across hills where mist curled like steam from a hundred bubbling pots. Travis relaxed in the welcome warmth, feeling his shirt dry on his shoulders. It was still a waterlogged terrain ahead which should continue to slow the clan. He had high expectations of catching up with them soon, and now the worst of his bruises had faded. His muscles were limber, and he had worked out his plan as best he could. Two hours later he sat in ambush, waiting for the scout who was walking into his hands. Under the direction of the Coyotes Travis had circled the line of march, come in ahead of the clan. Now he needed an emissary to state his challenge, and the fact that the scout he was about to jump was Manolito, one of Declay's supporters, suited Travis' purpose perfectly he gathered his feet under him as the other came opposite and sprang. The rush carried Manolito off his feet and face down on the sod, while Travis made the best of his advantage and pinned the wildly fighting man under him. Had it been one of the older braves, he might not have been so successful, but Manolito was still a boy, by Apache standards. "'Lie still,' Travis ordered. "'Listen well.' so you can say to Declay the words of the fox." The frenzied struggle ceased. Manolito managed to wrench his head to the left so he could see his captor. Travis loosened his grip, got to his feet. Manolito sat up, his face darkly sullen, but he did not reach for his knife. "'You will say this to Declay. The fox says he is a man of little sense and less courage preferring to throw stones rather than meet knife to knife as does a warrior. If he thinks as a warrior, let him prove it—his strength against my strength—after the ways of the people." Some of the sullenness left Manolito's expression. He was eager, excited. "'You would duel with Declay after the old custom?' "'I would. Say this to Declay openly, so that all men may hear then Declay must also give answer openly." Manalito flushed at the implication concerning his leader's courage, and Travis knew that he would deliver the challenge openly. To keep his hold on the clan, the latter must accept it, and there would be an audience of his people to witness the success or defeat of their new chief and his policies. As Manalito disappeared, Travis summoned the Coyotes. Putting full effort into getting across one message. Any tribe led by Declay would be hostile to the mutant animals. They must go into hiding, run free in the wilderness, if the gamble failed Travis. Now they withdrew into the bushes, but not out of reach of his mind. He did not have too long to wait. First came Jill Lee, Buck, Nolan, Zoe, Lupi, those who had been with him on the northern scout. Then the others, the warriors first, the women making a half-circle behind, leaving a free space in which Declay walked. "'I am the Fox,' Travis stated. "'And this one has named me Witch and Natahi, Outlaw of the Mountains. Therefore do I come to name names in my turn. Hear me, people. This Declay, he would walk among you as Isis Nantan, a great chief.' But he does not have the go the holy power of a chief. For this Declay is a fool, with a head filled by nothing but his own wishes, not caring for his clan-brothers. He says he leads you into safety. I say he leads you into the worst danger any living man can imagine, even in peyote dreams. He is one twisted in his thoughts, and he would make you twisted also. Buck cut in sharply, hushing the murmur of the masked clan. "'These are bold words, Fox. Will you back them?' Travis' hands were already peeling off his shirt. "'I will back them,' he stated between set teeth. He had known since his awakening after the stoning that this next move was the only one left for him to make, but now that the testing of his action came he could not be certain of the outcome of anything save that the final decision of this battle might affect more than the fate of two men. He stripped, noting that Declay was doing the same. Having stepped into the center of the glade, Nolan was using the point of his knife to score a deep ridge circle there. Naked except for his moccasins, with only his knife in his hand, Travis took the two strides which put him in the circle facing Declay. He surveyed his opponent's finely muscled body realizing that his earlier estimate of Declay's probable advantages were close to the mark. In sheer strength the other outmatched him. Whether Declay was skillful with his knife was another question, one which Travis would soon be able to answer. They circled, eyes intent upon each move, striving to weigh and measure each other's strengths and weaknesses. Knife-dueling among the Pindalik-Oyi, Travis remembered, Had once been an art close to finished sword play, with two evenly matched fighters able to engage for a long time without seriously marking each other. But this was a far rougher and more deadly game, with none of the niceties of such a meeting. He evaded a vicious thrust from Declay. The bull charges, he laughed, and the fox snaps. By some incredible stroke of good fortune, the point of his weapon actually grazed Declay's arm, drawing a thin, red, inch-long line across the skin. "'Charge again, Bull. Feel once more the fox's teeth!' He strove to go Declay into a crippling loss of temper, knowing how the other could explode into violent rage. It was dangerous, that rage, but it could also make a man blindly careless. There was an inarticulate sound from Declay, a dusky swelling in the man's face. He spat as might an enraged Puma, and rushed at Travis, who did not quite manage to avoid the lunge, falling back with a smarting slash across the ribs. "'The bull gores!' Declay bellowed. "'Horns toss the fox!' He rushed again, elated by the sight of the trickling wound on Travis's side, but the slider-man slipped away. Travis knew he must be careful in such evasions. One foot across the ridge circle and he was finished, as much as if Declay's blade had found its mark. Travis tried a thrust of his own, and his foot came down hard on a sharp pebble. Through the sole of his moccasin pain shot upward, causing him to stumble. Again the scarlet flame of a wound down his shoulder and forearm this time. Well, there was one trick he knew. Travis tossed the knife into the air, caught it with his left hand. Declay was now facing a left-handed fighter and must adjust to that. "'Paw, bull! Rattle your horns!' Travis cried. "'The fox still shows his teeth!' Declay recovered from his instant of surprise. With a cry, which was indeed like the bellow of an old-range bull, he rushed into grapple sure of his superior strength against a younger and already wounded man. Travis ducked, one knee thumping the ground. He groped out with his right hand, caught up a handful of earth, and flung it into the dusky brown face. Again it seemed that luck was on his side. That handful could not be as blinding as sand, but some bit of the shower landed in Declay's eye. For a space of seconds Declay was wide open open for a blow which would rip him up the middle, the blow Travis could not and would not deliver. Instead, he took the offensive recklessly, springing straight for his opponent. As the earth-grimed fingers of one hand clawed into Declay's face, he struck with the other, not with the point of the knife but with its shaft. But Declay, already only half conscious from the blow, had his own chance. He fell to the ground, leaving his knife behind two inches of steel between Travis' ribs. Somehow, he didn't know from where he drew that strength, Travis kept his feet and took one step and then another out of the circle, until the comforting brace of a tree-trunk was against his bare back. Was he finished? He fought to nurse his rags of consciousness. Had he summoned Buck with his eyes? or had the urgency of what he had to say reached somehow from mind to mind. The other was at his side, but Travis put out a hand to ward him off. "'Towers!' He struggled to keep his wits through the pain and billowing weakness beginning to creep through him. "'Reds mustn't get to the towers! Worse than the bomb! End us all!' He had a hazy glimpse of Nolan and Jill Lee closing in about him. The desire to cough tore at him, but they had to know, to believe. Reds get to the towers, everything finished. Not only here, maybe back home, too." Did he read comprehension on Buck's face? Would Nolan and Jill Lee and the rest believe him? Travis could not suppress the cough any longer, and the ripping pain which followed was the worst he had ever experienced. But still he kept his feet. Try to make them understand. Don't let them get to the towers! Find that storehouse! Travis stood away from the tree, reached out to Buck, his earth and blood-stained hand. I swear—truth—this must be done! He was going down, and he had a queer thought that once he reached the ground everything would end, not only for him, but also for his mission. Trying to see the faces of the men about him was like attempting to identify the people in a dream. "'Towers!' he had meant to shout it, but he could not even hear for himself that last word as he fell. End of chapter 13